This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I'm going to be talking to Armin Winkler. Armin is a longtime instructor at all of our HITS seminars, always really well received. He's been on the podcast before, but over the next couple of months, uh, off and on, we'll have some of our HITS 2022 instructors come on here to talk about the class and uh, give you just a little information from the, the class that they're class or classes that they're teaching. So Armin teaches a wide variety of classes for us. Um, this year, uh, one of the classes we have him teaching for us is a muzzle class. And uh, if you guys are on social media, you might have seen, you know, there's always a couple different discussions about whether you should use muzzle or not use muzzle. Everybody has different opinions about it. I'm in the camp that I, I really like muzzle training. I think it's a very good uh, tool for patrol dogs. I think Armin is too. So uh, what I'll do is uh, give Armin, you know, just a minute to introduce himself. And then we'll talk a little bit about muzzle stuff. So how are you doing today, Armin? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks, Jeff, for having me on and, you know, showing interest in, in my Absolutely. in my information. So um, my name is Armin Winkler. As Jeff already said, I'm well, jack of all this kind of dog trainer. I get all around and I try to involve myself with as much as I can. When it comes to dog training, I've been doing this for over four decades and um, having a lot of fun doing some of the specialty Things that I get to do now with um, special operations units, um, some of the anti-poaching things in Africa. It's just, it's been a real fun ride for me as a, as a dog trainer. So I really enjoy what I get to do. And uh, I like to share some of my knowledge and my experience with others and um, pass on information that I've come up with and discovered sure. over the years so well and you're being humble i mean you've been doing this for four decades you've trained pretty much every kind of dog out there right there's not there's you'll train any discipline a dog that comes to you if they need help i i've done a fair bit yeah um yeah i'm not i haven't done a lot of hunting dogs i've worked with them a little bit and i used some of my schnauzers years ago for sure. retrieving birds and waterfowl and stuff like that but that's sort of one thing I haven't done so much uh, but, with. I, but if we're talking mili military, uh, military and mm -hmm. law enforcement, you've you've done all that, right? Yes, yeah. In the military law enforcement world, I've been um, I've been around the block a couple of times. Yeah. Let's say that. So, and I, I will just go off base for just a quick minute um, because I know one of the things that, that you um, you know that that I know you are. I don't know if you're still doing it, but you and you mentioned it, so I want to pick your brain. Schnauzers, the giant schnauzers. Yes. Are, are anybody using those anymore? Um, I know you've. I, I talked to you one time about them, and you told me what you liked and uh, about them and stuff. But not a very popular breed right now. So tell me about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of funny you said that because I just uh, imported myself a puppy beginning of January, so she's at uh, what is she now? Fourteen weeks old. So so far, she looks pretty promising. It's um, it's one of the traditional police dog breeds, of course, in sure. the world. And uh, unfortunately, it uh, it hasn't been managed well by the breeders. Uh, the the biggest resurgence the Schnauzer had was back uh, when the East Germany fell and Germany reunified, and the East German Schnauzers became available to the gene pool because they bred them very strict for sure. working sure. for military and police work, and that that really. I got one of those dogs back then, uh, born in, in 1990. This paper still said, you know, bred in accordance with the regulations of yeah. the former DDR. And, um, you know, I, I worked that dog as my patrol dog when I was doing security work. And um, he was, uh, well, he saved my life a few times. So I got nothing but good things to say about the Schnauzer, let's say that. So um, I, bred, I bred for a number of years and, and had some pretty successful ones, police dogs and and so forth um, out of my offspring. And um, I miss them. And I, I couldn't really find the, the genetics around here anymore to continue breeding. Plus, I, I didn't have any females anymore. So sure. I was kind of missing them and just had a couple of older dogs that, um, you know, are past their, their working sure. days. So I, I decided to, um, I, I helped someone else. I helped a friend, actually, a guy who used to be a canine handler that, that had his uh, patrol dog for me, not a schnauzer, it was a Malinois. But he um, he had one of my puppies, and they lost that puppy to, to illness. 
and they were looking for help to import one. So I helped them and I when I, I picked the dog up from the airport for them so that um, the dog wouldn't have to travel yeah. through 15 different airports. So we yeah. picked them up here in Washington and just seeing the dog and I, I talked to my wife and said, like, <laughs> I, I got to have one. I got to have one. Again. I, can't, uh, I can't, I can't, I can't not uh, have life without a schnauzer. So I, I, I stumbled across a good litter and picked one up. Yeah. I, you know, if we were going to talk about, you know, how the difference between a shepherd and a Malinois and a Dutch shepherd, that's pretty, everybody's pretty well familiar with that now. So mm. tell me the personality of a giant schnauzer. Are they more aloof? Are they, is the drive similar to another type of dog? Or, you know, what, how would you describe that if, if no one's ever really been around a working one? They're certainly different than the, than the, herding breeds and shepherds and and certainly much different from a Malinois or, or a Dutch shepherd. I would say much more difficult to get as a as an adult because they um they're just a little bit more standoffish and uh I don't know, discriminating would be the best word. They're aloof. Some of them can be aloof, but the ones that that are a little bit more on the aggressive side, they're just not aloof. They just wanna <laughs> deal Just with work. a stranger <laughs> dangerous situation. Yeah, so yeah. it can be that way. They're exceptional nose work dogs. Just uh, the sense of smell seems to just be above average. They're tracking their ability to like hit scent. Like I remember yeah. when I was working mine in, in detection, you know, I'd work him with the regular canine group and he would, he would hit on things you know, several yeah. feet, sometimes yeah. as, as far as two, three meters farther away on things than, than some of the other dogs did. And that seems to be a pretty common thing with the breed. So I, I enjoy that. I enjoy the way they look. That's a, that's a big part of it for me as well. I grew up with those dogs sure, sure. and I always found them impressive, very powerful physically, very, very hard bites. And I'm, again, I'm talking about yeah. the specimens that, yeah. that resemble the, or represent the the way the, sh- the sure. working schnauzer was uh, yeah. meant to be, right? Very powerful dogs when it comes to grip strength. And, uh, you know, there's a dog, I think it was two years ago, maybe three years ago. I think it was in 19, 2019. There was a schnauzer who uh, made a PH1, KMPV PH1 uh-huh. in Holland. And there's, there's a videotape of a, of a helper, obviously a guy that's been in the suit a fair sure. bit, working this dog. And... The dog outs and guards, and then on the on the re-engagement, he bites him in the legs, and you just see the the, the surprise on his <laughs> face, like "Oh my God, <laughs> what's got a hold of me there?" Because he there's just a squeeze power to them sure. that uh, that I've always found very very impressive. Oh. If they like, I I had a Schnauzer was maybe eighty pounds, and a regular Schutzen sleeve helpers would have to use their second hand to slip the sleeve off, like a trial sleeve, because he would just collapse the barrel on the yeah. arm. Yeah, and um, it's uh, that that's always been a very impressive thing for me. Very physically dominant, so muzzle fighting. Since we're going to get into that class sure. in a second, a lot of times they're very impressive when it comes to that kind of work. I just, you know, I have a soft spot for them, so obviously maybe I'm I'm overselling them a little <laughs> bit. But it's uh, it's um, they're not quite as as environmentally sound as the Malinois are, or I shouldn't say environmentally sound, environmentally indifferent. They notice much more that they're if they're yeah. on slippery floors, yeah. if they're on uneven footing, and um, it may f- tie in a little bit with some of that that dominance stuff that yeah. that the breed has. That if they if they're in an environment where their physical strength is kind of neutralized, that I think it bothers them more than a Malinois who's just like I don't care who you know. Yeah. Um, and I've seen that with Rottweilers too, and and some of the larger German Shepherds. Yeah. You probably have encountered yeah. that as well. It's yeah. just a different way of processing environment than than the Malinois or the Dutchie. Those two breeds are just very unique in their seeming indifference yeah. to where they are. You know, that's that's something to consider. I think sometimes the Schnauzer is not quite as as prey driven as we yeah. as we would hope, and because they bite for other reasons sometimes. It's not always the most nurtured trait in in breeding, so where of course for detection and for um, like I had I had a dog that if it wasn't for his exceptional nose and his desire to search, um, he he didn't really have so much prey drive for sure. the for the the toys. Like when I, he drove me crazy because I <laughs> I love that puppy out of the out of the litter better than any of the other ones. 
And he was the only one that wouldn't chase a damn ball <laughs> and, or, or grab anything. But he ended up being a, a really good dog. It was just, it's just a little bit harder to teach them than things like the prey related things, sure. retrieving and detection yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. So uh, again, it, de- it depends on where you go. There's really not very many performance lines out there yeah. anymore. So it's yeah. kind of funny. A, a lady that had a dog uh, born in 96 saved some semen from this dog and that they just used that uh, Czechoslovakian or Czech Republic now uh, can all use, use that with, with a pretty good working female. And those puppies are now, I think they're 10 months old now. And I mean, that's a throwback. You got to say that's sure. over. That's 27, 28 yeah. years ago that those genetics uh, have, have not been around anymore. So I'm interested in seeing those dogs kind of yeah. hitting, hitting the working world a little bit. It'd be, yeah. it'd be exciting to see. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's good so, information. I, I, I know very little about them. I have seen in Holland, I did see a couple of them in the clubs, and I just thought they were, they were unique. You know, they, they, everything about them from just at a distance, I didn't talk to the handlers when I saw them. They just seemed like they had, uh, I, I guess the only way like I could say it is, a, to me, it kind of struck me as like the difference between training a Labrador and training a, a GSP. You know, they just seemed mm-hmm. kind yeah. of an independent, I work for myself and, you know, yeah. kind of dog is, is how I read it. They also have that rough look about them. So they're kind of, they all, as, as soon as you look at them, you say like, that's a brawler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. He's the, there's not so much finesse about it. He's, no, he's just he's, a, a brawler. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they're, they're fun dogs. Yeah. If, if you can get a good one, that's, that's always a thing. It's really yeah. disappointing when you, you know, you see the outer shape and you yeah. say like this, this is, this is what I want. And then it just can't do the work. Yeah. It's, um, it's a shame, yep. but you know, it's um, a sign of the times. I think exactly. with many other breeds, yeah. Yeah, we've done yep. that plenty of other breeds. So, yep. Well, that's good information. Uh, let's go on and let's talk some muzzle mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, basically, like I said in the intro, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if we're completely on the stra- same page as to uh, how we introduce muzzle training. We've never really mm-hmm. talked too much about that. But I do know we're on the same page that you like muzzle training a lot, and so do I. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, I know your class is always well received. So give a little overview of, w- of what the class will yeah. entail, and then we'll so talk a little the, more. The big thing with, with my muzzle classes it's even called muzzle training instead of muzzle fighting everybody always focuses on the muzzle fighting you know so the aggression work aspect of the of of muzzle and i've taken kind of a different route to that because i've seen too many dogs especially in recent say in the recent decade you'd see that um, the dogs are not defensively quite as strong um, or likely to go into real reliable aggression anymore mm-hmm. so when you're when you're doing a lot of confrontation work in muzzle when the dog feels obviously a little less capable of defending himself you're actually probably doing more harm than good by doing too much of that so i've kind of changed it around plus with a lot of the units that i work with muzzle is a very important thing for many many things other than fighting right yeah so we introduce the muzzle very neutral try to get the dog to be absolutely indifferent to muzzle so that it doesn't really signal bite work or it doesn't stress them out yeah. it's just sort of you know i got this on just like a patrol harness just about they're, they're pretty indifferent to it right and when, um, let me just interrupt when you're saying they're important that, that's because you know, you're dealing with teams that are in helicopters and, and small areas right. and, and stuff where mm-hmm. where you need the safety element of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and we, you know, it's it's a very important thing when you're when you're working in very close quarters with with the dogs. Some of the things like some of the feds, the pilots require it. I don't know if sure. it's an actual regulation, but the pilots absolutely want the dogs muzzled on the birds. Uh, the military doesn't so much, but it's still something that's done a fair bit. So we want the dogs to just be indifferent to it. A lot of the training to to see whether the dog has actually learned what we want to teach them as far as discrimination and, and things like that, which is my other class uh, yeah. at this year's hits. Obviously, we want the safety factor of having the muzzle on. And if the dog is, you know, if the dog 
thinks the you remember that from years ago that you put the muzzle on the dog's looking for somebody to head exactly right off the bat. you know there it's, yeah. it's a piece of equipment almost yep. where uh, when i have this on i'm supposed to tackle people and we don't want that of course because we need the neutrality uh, exactly. so the muzzle is an important thing and the dogs need to show aggression in muzzle but the muzzle can't be a signal for aggression if yep. that makes sense it, you know? yeah exactly um so that's we we want to first achieve very much muzzle neutrality when we're introducing it so that the dogs number one are willing to wear it are not affected in their performance uh, of regular things like agility and obedience and even searching tasks while they're wearing the muzzle that's really important and then um, i will um, not really do the confrontational things anymore with the dogs i, I much more go into letting a dog perform a task that he has already done multiple times without a muzzle on and then basically rerun a, a, a scenario with a muzzle on and um, let him show us whether the, the muzzle is truly what we want it to be, which is protection for the decoy in that sure. situ situation. Sure. Like um, if the dog encounters a suspect without any equipment on or a role player, decoy, whatever you want to call them, without any equipment on, he should attack. He should attempt to bite him and do the job that he was taught to do. It shouldn't require any specific trigger or any specific mannerisms by the decoy to get the dog to do that. And the dog should not attack fellow officers sure. just because he has a muzzle on and he sure. wants to just hit the first person he sees. Sure. So that's really important. So I, I use a lot of my, you know, some of my frustration training techniques to accomplish that. And um, um, I've, I've had really good success with it because the dogs, in fact, are they're really trying to bite people when they have the muzzle on. And I, I don't spend so much time trying to teach very specific muzzle fighting techniques. Yeah. I know there's, there's folks around that really yeah. have almost made an art out of teaching the dogs, like how to fight yeah. a person with a muzzle on without biting yeah. but but it becomes sort of um a game in it of itself yeah, that and makes it's sense. not really where where for me it's like this if i'm wearing a suit i want the dog to not bite the suit i want the suit to be protection for me so the dog can't reach correct. my body correct right if if the dog is work working in muzzle i don't have to wear a protective suit the protection now is wrapped over yeah. his head so let me let me touch base on something here real quick because mm -hmm. I okay. think it's a really great point. So getting the dog neutral and muzzle, we've talked I've talked about that, and I know some other people have on this podcast. So let's say the dog is you've done a good job introducing the dog in muzzle. Mm -hmm. You haven't done any bite work or or you know mm -hmm. agitation with them, I should say, with them in muzzle. So the dog now is accepting the muzzle, like you say, maybe like a patrol mm -hmm. harness. He's got it on. But you touched on something, and I, I want to kind of pick your brain on it, was you use some of your, your frustration stuff to get the dog to go to that next level. Can you kind of, how does that look, and, and what, okay. what kind of techniques so would you let, use So let's say, like, I don't do muzzle agitation anymore. Uh -huh. I just don't do it yep. anymore because it's, I've seen too many dogs get sort of overwhelmed, and they, they go into more of a barking standoff they hit you every once in a while but it's not it's not the same there's sure. plenty of dogs that still muzzle fight when you yeah. do that kind of stuff but there's a lot of dogs that too many for my taste that sort of feel uh, like defenseless right so they they feel kind of too confronted anyway so i prefer to use um frustration things so so let's say i've done a bunch of area searches with the dog and the dog is hunting in the woods and he's super driven and he gets real frustrated when he finds a guy, bites really good in a suit, all that. So then the next thing is he has to find somebody who doesn't have equipment on. Sure. So when I, when I, when I first do that, of course, I do it inaccessible. Sure. Or I use a yeah. cage like thing or I climb up into a tree. Yeah. Yeah. And when the dogs find me, they can't reach me. Right. So they get really, really mad. They get really frustrated and pissed off and, and uh, they really try to get up there. Right? And in the beginning, when I teach that, I may use a sleeve just to reward them for finding yeah. me and barking. But eventually, I don't. Eventually, I I may have an old pair of pants that I ha hang off of a rope and I dangle it down and just kind of tease them with it so they can't. They think they can get some, but they really can't. Yeah, yeah. And if if they do, you know, they get like a little shred of it, which they usually just spit out and yeah. want to want more guidance yeah. up in the tree. Well, I can do that with a dog, right? Unmuzzled. Yeah. 
and then reset and send him back in muzzle. And he's going to get to the same tree. He's going to find the same guy. He's going to be pissed off at the guy up in the tree. And he can't bite the guy when he's unmuzzled. And now he can't bite the guy because he's muzzled. So he's going to sure. act pretty much the same. Sure. He's going to jump up. He's going to try to bite. And at that point, if I'm the decoy, I'll climb down a little bit and I will like dangle my leg low enough so he can reach it. Yeah. And he's going to try to bite me in the leg. He's going to yeah. headbutt me. He's going to punch me in the leg. Yeah. If he didn't have a muzzle on, he would be latching on sure. to me at that point. Sure. Right. That's the attitude I want. And that's the attitude I want to foster when the dog has a muzzle on. And when you do that, and say this is, mm -hmm. and um, I think I know the answer, but I'll make sure I'm reading it the same. That's going to be a short, short fight, right? It's it's at that point not a fight at all. Well, it's the, basically he gets he gets basically one contact with with my calf, and then, and then I and pull then my, my leg back up, and then yeah, and, and then, then he's he going back to that frustration. Should, yeah, correct. Then he's going to okay. frustrate more. Now I may. I may hang myself a little bit lower, let him hit me again. And I wait until the handler has almost caught up with us. Right. And, and then I may drop. Then at that point, when the handler is like 10 meters out, I may drop out of the tree and let the dog really kind of plow into me. And I'm assuming though, that the goal here is though to, is to keep that dog's, you know, to keep that dog's drive peaked. Uh, Correct. And where yes. I'm going and with that is, and I'm sure you've seen it and I know I've seen it is that people jump too fast into that. They jump yeah. down, the dog gets one muzzle hit, two muzzle hits, then they the frustration and the drives go down, and then the dog's like, well, hell, I don't know what to do. And then then that whole moment yeah. is lost. Correct. But, so if you, if you make the fight last too long, sustaining, a dog sustaining himself in drive and in a, in a fight with a muzzle requires a, a, a high degree of conviction that he will sooner or later be able to bite. Yeah. And again, when you deny that with, say, up in the tree, right? He he hits you once, he can't bite you. Now you're going to take the body part away again. Now he's just more pissed off because he can't. He wants to bite, but he can't. Yeah. It, and, and he's not aware that he can't because of the muzzle. So he doesn't get demoralized. He stays frustrated, which is really important. And, you know, I do, I do a similar drill, like say you do a cage, the dog finds you in the cage. Well, when he finds you in a cage without a muzzle, he can't bite you anyways. Right? Yeah. So he barks and he carries on, he goes wild. And same thing, then the dog is sent back into the cage with, uh, or towards the yeah. cage with a decoy inside. He can't bite him then either. He gets all mad. He wants to bite into the, into the yeah. mesh of the cage and all that kind of stuff. And then again, when the handler is close, open the lid. And the dog gets to make contact, but it's a short-lived contact in the yeah. beginning. And uh, we want to, you know, I do the same in building searches. A dog finds me, the door is not completely shut. It's open maybe two inches and he he tries to get in there. I can kind of play na na na. you can't yeah. get me with the dog and he gets really, really pissy. You know, I may stick again, I may stick a foot out and he can punch me on the foot and then I pull it back in. Yeah. And then eventually I will open the door and he gets to sort of plow me around for, for a little bit. You know, he gets he gets physical contact, but he doesn't get a lot of the satisfaction yeah. that he's looking for. Yeah. And you can't make it last long enough in the beginning to make him aware that he can't get satisfaction yeah. because of the muzzle. Because then he starts to try other things like barking yep. or backing up or any of that kind of stuff, which, then, which is, of course, kind of counterproductive. And that's what I see is I see guys, a lot of times maybe they move too fast. So the dog is to the point where he'll do you know one muzzle punch, two muzzle punch, and then they just want to see if he'll do 15 minutes of it. And then the dog gives or, up or the dog, and barks. Or the, or the, and, dog tries, the dog tries to bite and the dog fizzles and now the decoy like flanks the dog yeah. or does something like that. And now the dog tries to retaliate and he can't. And now he realizes that he's actually exposed to sort of yeah. a, a negative thing with this guy without the ability to defend himself properly. And now he's going to go like, well, this is, this is going to, this is going bad for me. And he starts to sort of show hesitation and yeah. we don't really want that. And I think people, um, people confuse frustration sometimes with the frustration that you described of him you know on, on in peak drive and he just can't get to you for a second and then the handler picks him up and leashes him up whatever and i think people confuse the frustration with what you also just described now of flanking the dog and almost almost being unfair well you know because the dog yeah. can't bite so that's not proper there's there's good frustration and then there's bad frustration yeah, and it, it it depends on the dog. Some dogs respond 
quite aggressively towards flanking or pain stimulation of, of some form or another. Other dogs feel more threatened or worried by yeah. it. And then it depends very much on what their defense mechanism is. If they're more into sort of stand back and bark versus just physical attack. Yeah. We don't get so many of the physical attack dog in defense anymore. So we have to be careful how much we make them feel like their well-being is being threatened. Because especially muzzled, making the dog feel that his well-being is in jeopardy is typically a very mentally taxing kind of state of emotion, right? Exactly. So frustration is a great way to get aggression for me because it's safe. Yeah. If you don't get it far enough, frustration always brings intensity. So the dog will always give a little bit more effort. If he's not quite intense enough to be aggressive, so where he would be violent towards somebody without equipment on, then we haven't pushed it far enough yet. Yeah. But if that doesn't happen, there is no downside. If I overpressure a dog defensively and he feels that he's going to, like his very life is in jeopardy, he's going to show some kind of alternative behavior to keep him alive, which is typically retreat. Yes. And, and, and that's, that's much more easily triggered in muzzle because the dog is, becomes very quickly aware of the fact that his primary weapon is completely gone. And once and, um, once you've made that mistake with a dog, trying to repair that is is not the easiest thing. It's not because it associates itself with the muzzle. Yes. So, and so I bring all these. Uh, you know, the other the other I, way, like I teach, I teach muzzle searching, for example, completely different from pretty much everybody, <laughs> because I don't do the muzzle fighting. I don't do the muzzle. I don't do any of the aggression stuff with muzzle before I teach searching. So the dog is searching well with the muzzle on, and it's just a, a piece of equipment that he's correct. still uses his nose he, on. Correct. He needs to learn that he can use his nose with the muzzle on. And you've seen a lot of times you teach a dog muzzle fighting first, and then you try to do an area search. They can't search. And the dog runs 10 yards, 15 yards into the woods, and he tries to take the muzzle off. Yep. Because he's tense, and he's stressed, and he's uptight, and he can't smell as good. And, you know, all these emotions that are... That are um, associated and activated during a muzzle fight are now interfering with his ability to search. Sure. And now I can't use my my search work frustration stuff as a as a way to make him more functional in muzzle, yeah. which is the way I would like to do it. The other thing that I do is I do a lot of stages of muzzle. I do a lot of oral contact after a muzzle fight because I want the dog to have sort of a mental preoccupation that if I try long enough and I try to bite through that muzzle, I can eventually put my mouth on something, uh -huh. right? So after a muzzle fight, even if it's a short one, say I drop out of the tree, the dog kind of ramrods me three, four times, handler pulls him back, maybe lets him punch me one more time, pulls him back, holds him, strips the muzzle, and now he gets a, 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 an oral contact on me on the decoy okay that can be a um a hidden sleeve that doesn't smell of equipment that's obviously sure. crucial for civil work i call them shirt rips where i will i will take like a fold of the shirt on my body and i will pull it forward so it sticks you know six inches yeah. away from my belly and i let the dog reach just an inch of that and bite into it yeah and then, and then rip it. Or I will take a long sleeve t-shirt and pull a few inches of material over my hand. And I kind of just keep dancing real close to the dog's mouth until he eventually gets a hold of, again, just a couple of inches of fabric. And then once he's onto that, you know, just tug, 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 yeah. and then rip the shirt. It has, it has sort of a double effect. Number one, the dog gets that tunnel vision that if I try long enough, I'm gonna get my. I'm gonna get to put my mouth on this on this guy sure. somehow, right? Yeah. That's number one. Number two, because I do a lot of um, uh, traditional equipment slipping. Like I slip the bite jacket quite a bit, and that kind of stuff. All the dogs that I do the shirt rips with, they will spit that like two inches of sleeve yeah. 
from my shirt. They spit that on the ground and look back at you. That's not what I want. Yeah. I want you. Yeah. <laughs> and they get so mad. It's almost like it's it's an insult to them that that's all yeah. they got was that piece of clothing. And clothing is not equipment. A dog should not hold on to clothing. Yeah. If they hold on to equipment, I don't care. That's just that's training, right? And I the, like I, I tell people all the time if if I lose my mind and start committing crimes, <laughs> and you come to my house with a dog and you see me in a bite suit. Don't send the dog. <laughs> try try something else because if I put a suit on, your dog's neutralized. That's yeah, it. I can win. <laughs> and 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 I think most people that would have the wherewithal to put an actual suit or a sleeve on would know enough about dogs how to neutralize a dog with a piece of protection equipment. Exactly. In any other situation, uh, and we t look, we we spend a lot of time teaching the dogs to love the equipment. Sure. So there's nothing wrong with them loving yeah. the equipment. The equipment choosing between the equipment and the man without equipment is not is not a choice that he ever has to make in the real world. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I don't get into any kind of stress or conflict in training. If I if I slip on my jacket, I slip on my jacket. I don't care if he spits it out, if he doesn't spit it out. That's his prize. He won it. Good. You won. End of discussion. And then, but I do things like the shirt rips, for example, so that the dogs. I've never seen a dog hold on to a piece of... The other day, I did tree finds, and the dog kind of first... He tried real hard to get at that pair of pants, and then after a while, he says, I can't reach it. He's making me miss, right? So he just jumps around like a crazy man, barking, and all of a sudden, I dangle that thing down again, and he gets so much of that pant leg, there was no way it was going to rip. Yeah. So when the handler came up, I tossed him a knife, and he just cut that pant leg. Yeah. And as soon as it went dead, that dog spit that pant leg out and wanted right back up in the tree yeah. with me. Yeah. And that's that's a crucial element for me. It doesn't it doesn't have to be something small. Small is easy, of course, for us to do. But if it's a bigger piece, cut it off. Sure. The dog should spit it out. The dog should at that point they should be so mad they want to do something bad to the person that yeah. they're that they found, right? And that that's really the crucial part. And you know, and then how the does class, that, the how class, does that uh, exercise end? Then so the dog is spit it out, and he's still trying to get back at you. Is that when you're just going to basically post up with the dog, and the decoy runs off, or how do you end that exercise? Well, that in that in that particular scenario, I was I was still up in the tree. But let's say if I do the shirt rip, yeah, I will I will kind of rip that and then cower, and then it just kind of slowly drag the dog away. Yeah. And, and I, then, slowly, uh, you know, I, then I like co that. yeah, dra drag them away. Don't make them feel like they're yeah. doing something wrong, right? Keep the frustration going. And then all of a sudden, you know, we typically end up bringing backup officers in to take custody. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then at that point, it's sort of a same ritual the dog is already used to. Guys put hands on the bad guy. Now the dog it's over, it's, has to yeah. do has to collect himself, has to cap, go into a down or something like that. Yeah. All right, we got him, and then it's a roll away. Like yeah. you with me, heel, let's go, yep. right, and take him out. Okay, that's the way we do it most of the time. If the dogs are really frenzied and crazed up or whatever, then just drag them far enough away until they can collect themselves, and then roll them away. In a building, I will sometimes shut the door so that the. They, they yeah. just have a little bit more, I can't get them, I can yeah, get them, and yeah. they're much more willing to go away. I, yeah. I don't want to see a handle bit at that point. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> because they get so frustrated, yeah. they're, just, they're just in a frenzy, which is yeah. kind of what I want in the muscle. Yeah. So those are all like really good ideas as to how to get going on it. I want to touch base real quick, and um, I know I've had these discussions, I'm sure you have, um, the, the people, the trainers, agencies, handlers, whatever, that don't like muzzle for all different reasons. What are some of the reasons you've been told that uh, we shouldn't be doing muzzle training? I've heard quite a few. I'm sure you've heard the same ones. You know, a lot of times people don't do that with me because I yeah <laughs> I, I come out with my opinion first yeah. <laughs> because I'm that kind of a person. It you know people believe that that it's um, demoralizing. Some people feel that it's artificial. Some people think like you can't evaluate the bite, which means you you don't yeah. really know where the dog is mentally. Uh, I've I've worked dogs myself that were that just were physical beasts, right? They loved that tackling and the wrestling and all that kind of stuff, and they would knock you out of a chair and muzzle, but they still failed on the street. So people <laughs> saw that, yeah. And then they would say, well, muzzle isn't any more reliable. Why are we wasting our time on it? It takes so much time to do the conditioning and et cetera, et cetera. So there's, 
I, I would say most of the points that people made are anecdotal. I think if, uh, if the uh, training uh, is done correctly, and that's always look, people people have obviously issues with the way the the fact that I slip equipment all the time. I get all kinds of sure. arguments and debates about that. And I said, hey guys, any one of you guys want to come and uh, volunteer uh, with my training group? And sit in the building without equipment on to see if the dogs are dependent on the equipment. Yeah. <laughs> Be my guest. Like uh, sign a waiver and go sit in the <laughs> building. If the dogs are just coming to bite a suit, you have nothing to worry yes. about. But yeah. if they don't, maybe you need to just sort of zip it a little bit and yeah. and listen to somebody that's been doing this yeah. for a while. And if you do it incorrectly, there's always going to be a problem. And that's, if you do muzzle, yeah. you can ruin a dog with muzzle. No question. And that's, seen that's dogs the that anecdotal stories that I always hear is that, you know, they like the, the dog, you know, it took too much time or those kind of things. But the way you're describing it, if you're doing the muzzle, the neutral muzzle behavior at mm-hmm. different times and you're doing the, you know, building searches and area searches mm-hmm. out of muzzle and you start uh, molding those two things together, you're not adding a whole lot of time to your training by doing this. Let me give you let me give you a freebie here. So okay. I hope people will still come to my class. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but here here's the thing, all right? You know how I teach the dog to search in muzzle? By teaching them to search out of muzzle. Well, part of it. But the first search the dog does in muzzle is for his handler. Sure. Okay? Yeah. So the two strongest search motivators in a dog are prey drive and pack drive. Yeah, those drives, who are which are real drives, they have a real trigger stimulus and they have a real outcome, right? So they're real drives, which means it's like starting a motor. Once that motor is started, the engine runs. So when somebody that has social significance to a dog leaves them, they want to find them again, searching. Then we I have the handler show them a toy, his ball or something like that. And which is prey. And again, if a dog wants to find prey, he's going to search for it. So those two are real motivators for searching. So the handler shows the dog a toy. I hold the dog. The dog is muzzled. The dog has done area searches before. So he he has a, a certain amount of technique, right? And now I have the handler go in at least 50, 60 yards and hide. And when he's good and hidden, I tell the handlers, then you call the dog and I let him go. Yeah, and I have never had a dog. Again, knock on wood for a second, but I have never had a dog that tried to fight the muzzle ever. The dogs just run in there, and it takes them sometimes a little while, and all of a sudden you see that they caught a whiff yeah. of, the, of the handler, yeah. and then they run to the handler. The handler praises them, pulls the muzzle off, gives them a ball. Instant reward, no safety concerns because we haven't done any bite work or any aggression work yeah. in the muzzle yet. Yeah, right. And the dogs are just happy that they found that and they get their ball, they walk out, we may do it again. And the dog learns that he can use his nose while the muzzle is on. And then once he does that a few times, we're going to do a, a, an area search with, with me okay. in a suit. Yeah. And then we do, and then we bring him back out, put a muzzle on and have him find me again. Yeah. And when the dog finds me, he punches me with a muzzle on. And I pull the muzzle off, he gets to bite me. Sure. And then we start doing the frustration stuff. Then yeah. we start doing the stuff that actually involves yeah. aggression, right? Yeah. But searching doesn't, aggression is not a motivator to search. Prey is. Yeah. So equipment is important in the beginning or something like that or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So that's that's kind of how, how I get that ball rolling. And because, and you've seen this when you do area searches, the dogs get pretty frustrated and amped up from having to bob and weave through trees to try to find you. They can smell you. They can't see you. Where's he at? This is pissing me off. When they get there, their intensity is heightened. Yes. Yes. And that heightened intensity is what I want to use in muzzle to get them into the aggressive state. I I know, you know, you do a lot of training with, you know, uh, police agencies, military and all that. Can you give me just a, I think it's real obvious, but some people maybe still don't really see why is it so valuable? I mean, it's, if, if you, if you've listened to this whole podcast, you can easily see that it doesn't become a piece of equipment. So the dog should be pretty neutral. So I really like, you know, some of the the things you could do with the muzzle. So, you know, throw out a few ideas of, of what you can do 
when you when you've gotten all this down the road and now you've got a dog that's neutral and muzzle and can work in a muzzle you have a whole new world of, of training right correct i mean you number one the for searching for example the scent signature of the human without anything on is crucial sure because we're not we in the beginning it's okay for the dog to search for a guy in a bite suit but the target odor that he has in in real deployments is going to be just a human scent so the fact that he can do that in muzzle of course allows us lots of training opportunity to to develop that so that's one another thing is of course scenarios like if if you have let's say you do a, a vi right a vehicle vehicle interdiction a felony vehicle stop yeah. whatever you want to call it right and you have obviously a police car on this on this side a police car on that side and everybody's yelling except for the guy in the car the guy in the car is passive yeah. he's uncooperative he's but he's not a target for the dog because he's not doing anything aggressive if he has a suit on the dog says oh there yeah. he, there he is Smell. that's my guy and he can ignore all the yelling cops. If the guy's wearing a t-shirt and shorts, the dog, and he doesn't do anything, and he doesn't do anything yeah. that, that yeah. says, this is my guy, all the guys that are yelling and screaming are much more uh, uh, attractive or attract yeah. much more attention to themselves than this passive exactly. subject, right? Yeah. And again, you can practice that with muzzle yep. so that the dog learns to target where we want him to target and ignore or at least bypass other officers in in, in those situations and not get preoccupied. Because I've seen this many times. Dogs are pulled out of the car. Guys behind one other car start yelling instructions at the guy in the the suspect car. And the dog is keying up totally on the cop who's yelling because he can't see him. He just hears yelling over there. So yeah. he starts to get totally preoccupied with that, and he's not looking at the suspect car. Yep. So those are important training yeah. drills. For us, of course, it's important when we do, and again, that, that factors into the other class, when we do discrimination. Yeah. The dog needs to run past team members. He needs to run into rooms that another team member has entered from another door, look at him, say, one of my guys, move on, and then he, the next room he steps in, there's a guy in jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. And he needs to engage him. Yeah. Engaging a guy in a bite suit at that point is easy. Yeah. I'm, the, that, yeah. I'm not looking for, for, for you. I'm looking for a guy with a puffy suit. Yeah. That's, that's, that's easy discrimination most of the time, right? Or it's a lot easier than the other. When the guy is dressed in, in regular clothes, yep. he doesn't really look that different. Yeah. That's a big part of, of, uh, and then if he's not aggressive towards the guy in civvies because he's run past so many yeah. other bodies, yeah. well, we know we have a problem. Yeah. yeah, he like I always tell people, it's not discrimination if the dog doesn't bite anyone. Yeah, <laughs> like if he doesn't yeah. bite the bad guy, of course he's not going to bite the good guys either. Sure, but if he's willing to bite the bad guy and he bypasses good guys, now he's discriminating, and yep. that's important. And that's a for that without muzzle, like when we train. And people always say, well, I, I can't use my dog with SWAT because uh, I, they don't invite me out to SWAT training and I can't train with the SWAT team and all that kind of stuff. I said, we don't train with the SWAT team. We don't train with the line unit so often. We train amongst ourselves. We train among canine guys. And the skills and techniques that dogs learn among canine guys transfer over to the other guys. Sure, sure. As soon as the other guys, like... They're just other guys. The dogs learn good guys from bad guys, and that that's important. And of course, the first time we we practice like CQB with with a line unit that is that is not canine. That some of them may be afraid of dogs. Yeah, there's some guys that are just like, "Whoa, uh, is this dog gonna bite me?" <laughs> nope, he won't. But they are a little apprehensive. Yeah, the safest way to do that, of course, is to do it muzzled. Yep. And, you know, we have flashbangs, we have live fire, we have all that kind of stuff. You know, there's a guy standing at a door shooting live live rounds, and the dog's supposed to run past him yeah. and go into the room and find someone else. Yeah. And if the dog makes a mistake, if it's muzzled, nobody's going to the hospital. Exactly. So it's it's really important. It's a, it's an important training yeah. tool. There's no question about it. I agree. I think anybody that limits the people that say, oh, we don't use sleeves anymore, dumb. Anybody that says, oh, we don't use suit anymore because we don't want the dog's equipment fixated, yeah. dumb. Anybody that has any hang well, I've seen this with muzzle, I've seen that with muzzle, dumb. If you 
if you use the tools correctly and properly, they are all valuable. And if you omit tools, I think you're you're limiting yourself sure. and your canine and sure. your unit from from developing optimal skill sets. Sure. And I'll that's throw, that's I'll, my opinion. I agree. I'll throw one other thing that I I, I, give, I really like about muzzle is uh, I don't know any other way to really teach a dog to engage a prone passive decoy under a dark bush, you know, where, where, where suspects hide in a yard mm-hmm. in a safe way if the dog isn't good in muzzle. So, Correct. Yeah, that's that's certainly one of them. I mean, we we I, I you know I use hidden suits. Yeah. So hidden suit and helmet, you can kind of do it, but yeah. muzzle is better because you don't you can do it more often. Like with, I always I have two different types of hidden suits, right? I have a Kevlar one and I have a leather one. I only use it. People always say, "Oh, that'd be good." I, I, we should buy one of those for our department. <laughs> so you, I use it once. <laughs> I use those. I use those things like maybe two or three times a year each. Yeah. yeah. With with the dogs, because otherwise it becomes equipment. Yep. The dog needs to encounter it and say, "What the hell is this?" and and attack. And work through it. Yep. It, once he knows what it is, you know, you've seen you you you're down in Florida, so I'm sure you've seen some of the newspaper bites that Dick Van Leenen yeah. teaches and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I always get a kick out of this when I see people go to a Dick Van Leenen seminar and see newspaper bites. And then next week on Facebook, I see a, a caption that says, getting dogs used to newspaper bites. I'm going, you obviously didn't listen. <laughs> yeah, I didn't listen to Dick. Once they yeah. get used to them, yeah. it no longer serves the purpose yeah. that it's supposed to serve. Yeah. The dog is supposed to bite into something he doesn't recognize and go, ah, fuck it. Yeah, and and just and just keep biting. Yep. If he goes, "Whoa, what's that?" That's a problem. If you have to get him used to it, he's not exactly. mentally ready to engage with it. Exactly. That's that's it. Yep. You know, exactly. and it's the same with muzzle, like you said. Like once once the dogs get too used to it, and you have to, you know, I I've done it with with muzzle, for example. One time I did a seminar, Tico seminar, and I showed them. Um, I said, like, who's got a good muzzle fighter? So guy put his hand up and I, I looked at a couple of the trainers I knew in the group and they said, yeah, dog muscle fights look good. But I know also that people do too much prone work in muscle. Yeah. So I said, look, I'm going to be in this hallway. I'm going to be opening doors, fucking around. And when, uh, when you see me, you're going to make your police. You do anything that you think is necessary to make this dog engage me effectively, right? So they come in, has a couple of backups with him, opens the door, dog sees me, he makes his announcements, and I'm just opening doors. I'm ignoring them entirely, like they're not even there. I don't yell back, I don't scream obscenities, nothing. I just ignore them. And I keep opening closets and looking in them and all that kind of stuff. So he sends the dog. So he gives me one good punch on the butt cheek, and I just keep opening doors. By the third door, the dog was checking closets with me. (laughs) Right. And the dog said real street bites. Yeah. And he's he expected something very specific. He expected some very specific decoy behavior that confirmed that what he was doing was the right thing. And I didn't give it to him. Sure. Yeah. And that's really important that when we're doing things like muzzle work, like I can muzzle fight a dog. I can keep a dog active in muzzle. That's part of training. When the dog is street ready, he should maintain activity on his own sure and and that that's important i look i see the same thing with suit jeff i see i stand in a in a room sometimes a dog comes in they send a dog in a room and i'm just standing there no no big arm swing no big trigger no yelling right and then some of the dogs look around like who's where's the guy and i'm wearing a suit and then some dogs hit me and i don't react i just take it okay you're on my arm i don't care and then the dog goes, what, is he not the guy? Like, everybody always goes, ow. Ah, oh, yeah. it's hurting oh, yeah. so bad. Yeah. yeah. Right? All yeah. the all the theatrical interactions. And the dog's not getting it. So not only, not that he, he's not being rewarded. that That's the wrong interpretation. What it is, is it's a confirmation of doing the right thing. Yeah. And if you don't give them that confirmation, then suspects aren't going to give you that. No, I agree. The dog, the dog acts confused, and it's the same in muzzle. It, it's like we have to make sure. Uh, do you remember there was an old Lairborg videotape that uh, Kevin Sheldahl was doing decoying, and it, it's old. It's I think it was called tactical police dog training or tactical training for police dogs or something to that effect. And there was one sequence in it where it was a roadside vehicle stop. 
dog was left in the car, bailout, window open, door ajar, stuff like that. And then the officer would go to the guy on the side of the road. And the guy would grab the officer, throw him on the ground, and then just stand there, totally passive. More than half the dogs hit the officer sure. on the ground yep. because they were muzzled. So in muzzle, you look for a guy on the ground. Yeah, I think if you, if it's trained that way, absolutely. Yeah. If, if you do too much of yeah. it, and a yeah. lot of times it becomes like, and even if even if it isn't trained that way, too many muzzle fights end up on the ground. It's always the last reward as the guy goes down. Good there's a time and a yeah. place for that, but there's a time and a place to not yeah. do that. It's it's any look any training that's done. If you fall into a trap of teaching the dog a consistent interaction and outcome, it becomes staged. Sure. And when it becomes staged, there's a there's a there's always the small possibility that the dog is dependent on the staged clues. Yeah. yeah. And if those clues are absent, there's a look. There's some dogs that are just nasty. And they're going to attack no matter what you look like and what you do. But there are some dogs that are super social and that kind of go like, "Who do? am I allowed yeah. to do this with yeah. this guy? And then the guy is not acting right and says, well, maybe I'm not allowed to do it yeah. with this guy because he's not giving me all the, yeah. the feedback signals. Yeah. And then you have a, and then you have a, yep. a, a, a reliability problem. Yeah. So all That's that sad. kind of stuff can happen with suit. It can happen with muzzle. It can happen with any piece of equipment. I think training needs to be – and look – you and I both know there's lots of fellows out there who are very good in suit that are physically a hell of a lot more agile than I am at this age. And they do all kinds of stuff that looks really, really good on Facebook, but they haven't done it long enough to really have the track record where what they have done and how they have done it has led to success again and again and again and again and no failures because it's, yeah. it, it's been gone on for years. And I think it's really important that that track record is, is part of it because if, if you um like there's talent out there and i obviously i go around and i teach i share my my knowledge freely i don't hold back and oh that's armin's secret he's not going to tell anybody that not true i, I teach that ever i teach decoy courses yeah. all that kind of yeah. stuff what's important to me is that people really develop an insight it's not just about flash and it's not just about ooh and ah and wow reliability this this is a really dangerous job and the dogs need to be reliable. The dogs are there to serve, to save lives. Sure. And um, if if you know we can make it look flashy and good for a video, if they're not doing their job of saving lives, we missed a boat somewhere. Yeah, and I, I, I take this super super serious. Like I told you yeah. before, one of my schnauzers saved my life a, yeah. a couple of times. And for me, it's very very important that 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 is always the primary goal of the training. I agree. It is I not Armin's methodology. It's not a, a picture. It is about reliable performance on the street, saving lives. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Well, I think we covered a lot today and uh, did a lot of muzzle stuff too, which is what I'm hoping for. If you have time, I'll get you back on here. We'll talk more about what you were talking about right. the discrimination. And uh, mm -hmm. talks more about the, that hits class. So I appreciate Great. the yep. time. Holler at me. Yeah, appreciate it, and uh, stay safe. I appreciate it. Yep. All right. Holler at me when you okay. know that this is going to air, and I'll share it with people. Okay. Thank you, Armin. Take okay. care. Excellent. Thanks, Jeff. Yep. Bye bye.